Today's episode is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Brew Bar. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Tremors Edition. My name is Michael Schantz. I am from the How Dare You Awards. With me is my dirt dragon in chief, Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hit me, Tom. Shoots the nuts off a squirrel at a hundred paces. Yes. (laughs) Let's see. Somewhere in my notes, I have that circled as your quote. Yeah. <laughs> I got it right. Well, the other one, is, I, I mean, the, the other one a... I was really close on was rich people always fat. <laughs> but, but again, you know, when it comes to the quotables, uh, you know, uh, um, I think, uh, Racism will always, you know, I'll, I'll consider the racist one, but I'll probably <laughs> eliminate it. <laughs> right. Well, but so this is where I'd like to, like, you know, uh, just kind of divvy out enough rope to hang yourself with. Yeah. Because you said on a previous podcast that the one thing you want in a Western is violence and racism. So yeah. did this movie have enough violence and racism for you? Um. You monster! It certainly well it, the vi- violence certainly. <laughs> um, race. I mean, I I think there's just enough racism to 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 uh, justify this being a western. But there you go. Not enough to um, make me hate it as a movie. Right. In fact, I think this is this is probably the most politically correct of all the Tremors movies. I was just going to say, that's one of the things I really like about this movie is how race, not that it's not commented on, but it's not an issue for any of the characters. Yeah. Race or gender, you know, does not matter to the characters in this movie, really. When they do dig, I think they they dig into some heavy racial and socioeconomic questions here, but they do it with a very light touch and in a way that is entirely progressive. That, yeah, that's the thing. Um, this is a liberal take on a Western, but I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, um, you know, when, when you go with such a nostalgic format like the Western, you're kind of going to either go two ways. It's going to be like, you know, our nostalgia is for a world where white people win all the time. Or mm-hmm. our nostalgia is tempered by the fact we want to reintroduce minorities into American history. Yeah. And this one is definitely in that latter camp, I think. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, all the better all the better, and more impressive for it because, you know, we know from other... Tremors movies that you know you don't <laughs> you don't have to be politically right on for it to be good. Mm-hmm. So this really is going the extra mile. Right. That's one of the things I love about this movie. And you know, so 
if you haven't figured it out, ladies and gentlemen, we are, of course, talking about the 2004 film Tremors 4, The Legend Begins, directed by S.S. Wilson. That's one of the things about this fucking series. Is we, yeah, well, he's, you know, he's you have the dad- directors who come and go and then come back. Yeah, he is, he's the, the, the certainly the best director um, that we've encountered who is also a ship. Right, yes. So we we speculated in a previous podcast that I will get on board the SS Wilson that he, based on that he may, based on the work in this movie that this he may be schizophrenic is that I mean <laughs> he may have another identity which is the, that, the guy who basically absolutely. directs all the other Tremors sequels <laughs> so um, yeah I mean boy did I go on a journey with this movie. Me too. Now this was this your favorite movie? Yeah, absolutely. Hands down. In the series? And that's the that's the weirdest part of this. I went from screaming in protest at the television to this being uh hands down my favorite of the Tremor sequels without a shadow of a yeah. doubt. I, 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 it's so close for me. You, as you know, I went Bloodlines yeah. number one, which is vastly different than your list. But that's really the only place we differ. Other than that, we're pretty close. Yeah. But that was a really hard decision for me, and obviously we'll get into that in the next podcast. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm gonna I lay my cards on the table. Um, I try to do if I don't know the movie. Uh, if I have no previous experience with it, for the purposes of doing this podcast, I try and go in fresh and do as little research as possible ahead of mm-hmm. viewing. So I was not aware that this was a prequel. Okay. I was not aware Michael Gross was going to be in it until the opening credits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was convinced that the 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 western opening of this movie was just a teaser and that once the opening titles were done we would go into the present flash forward yeah <laughs> that's great <sighs> and you know my my feeling that that would happen was only encouraged by the montage of the titles it's like a montage of photographs that i was convinced we're going to eventually modernize and then turn into present day uh, perfection. That did not happen. No. And, and no, at that point, no, I, no, no, no. I was angry and worried. Uh, right. If I can just quote. Well, unlike you, I was aware. Like I said, I was surprised to find when we started this series that I had not seen a single one of the sequels. <laughs> I thought I must have seen them. But I. But I was aware of the movies as they came along, up to especially this movie. Mm. Once we got to number five, because it's so much later. I it mean, really it's, is. It's like a yeah. decade later. Mm-hmm. So, but I was aware of this movie in existence, and I knew that it was a prequel, and I knew that it was a Western. Mm-hmm. And I think So I did go in at least with that knowledge. But that, to me, was not a good thing. No. I was not expecting good things If I can quote from from this movie. directly from my notes, um, where does Michael Gross fit into all this? Please tell me he's not playing a historical version 
of his ancestor. <laughs> and spoiler alert, everyone, that is exactly is. what he is. <laughs> Hiram Gummer. Uh, it actually turns out to be the best possible choice they could have made. But at, okay, that's my next question. At the time, like, I mean, really it works, worried. right? Uh, it's it's great. It beyond works. I mean, it may not have done if Michael Gross didn't have this versatility. If we knew he didn't have, if he wasn't as good an actor as he is. Yeah, if right. we knew, you know, he's played these kinds of characters before. These kind of. Uh, um, Officious. Officious, you know, uh, waspy kinds yeah. of uh, affluent um, uh, white people. I can't <laughs> be any more specific yeah, than right. that. <laughs> uh, capitalist fiend. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a big part of why it works. But, you know, I, I mean, in the big scheme of Tremors, you know, as a series... Um, this this ability to have Bert without Bert is just a really a really strong choice. Well, not just that. The reason I responded so favorably to this movie more than anything was his character arc. Yeah, it's the best in the series, I think. Well, it does. I mean, I, I. This is interesting. The things that bother me about this movie are nothing to do with this movie. It's all the things I hate about prequels, which you kind of can't avoid by doing a prequel. Right. That's my own. <laughs> yeah. My only. Th- those are my only beefs. And what impressed me so much about the Hiram Gummer character arc is it didn't get contaminated by those prequel problems, as it so easily could. I mean, for sure, you know. For the audience, what 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 are those? What, what are those traps like? Well, the th- three big ones for me. One is the kind of dramatic irony problem, right? You're basically okay. you're you're constantly playing. You know what what the characters know on screen. They know less than the audience do, mm-hmm. because we know what's going to happen, and you know you're always playing off that dynamic. And I think that can become a problem because... And it's hard to do well? It's hard to do well, and it's not very interesting, dramatically. Okay. Second of all is, you know, the problem... It's not a good idea to... Like, you're right in the sense of... It's not a great idea to have your audience know things that the character doesn't... Yeah. For an entire movie. Exactly. It's not And that's the problem with prequels. Right. Um, explaining things in continuity... So, you know, g- mm-hmm. given that this has happened, why don't people talk about That's it number two. later? That's the other one. And that, that that really is a problem here. Um, And then the third for me is just, you know, stakes. The stakes right. are always lower because you know who's going to survive. You know who has to survive in order for the story to happen later. You might not know how it's going to turn out, but you know that certain people aren't going to die. Certain things are going to happen. How do you raise the stakes when that's all predetermined? But actually, I mean, the the Hiram Gummer arc is, I mean, yeah, we have a sense that something's going to happen in these movies that's going to make him obsessed with weaponry. Right. But they actually 
they actually sort of they handle it so well though i mean i mean be- i mean so beautifully the in, last in, in a way shot in, is just delightful i mean you know we'll it'll it'll take a while for us to get there but the final shot of this movie yeah is is this kind of is basically the birth of Burt Gummer in a single image yes and f- for the movie to kind of like offset that you you you, you kind of need to have it in the in the scheme of a pre, of doing a prequel you kind of need to have this moment but the way that this moment is first of all offset to the very last shot of the movie yeah right exactly and doesn't interfere with what is actually you know as i think you've alluded to character growth um you know the an origin story for Burt Gummer that is genuinely surprising and takes you in you know he this idea that he's not always been a hick mm-hmm. is a totally right. new idea but yeah. when you start to break it down you realize well yeah Hiram does have a lot of what Bert will eventually come to be but in in the ways you you totally weren't expecting but none of it feels yeah. inauthentic but on the opposite end of the spectrum yeah none of it feels right. like inauthentic or retconning which is no. kind of incredible. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely. That's one of the things that, you know, there are, there are all different kinds of things that you might respond to in a movie. You might respond to just the acting. You might respond to just the directing. You might respond to just the writing. But when all three are working, that's probably when a movie's going to be at its best. Mm-hmm. And this movie definitely has the writing. Yes, it's a great script. And, and you know, I'll give it the acting as well. And I also, in regards to S.S. Wilson and the directing or the film in general, this film does seem to suffer from, uh, like, low-budget syndrome. But, but yeah, go But on. in a way that works. They make it work for them just spectacularly. I mean, they the 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 graboids are conspicuous by their absence for a right. large part of this movie. And once again, what what seems like something that could harm the movie is turns into absolutely the best choice they could make. Right. We don't that, see that's the, how I felt too. The graboids are only described verbally for <laughs> the first what third of this movie. At least. When we do see them, they're sparingly visualized and always puppets. I could right. not be happier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and you... Which will grain against what I have you... to say about the next movie, but I digress. Yeah. We'll wait. <laughs> it's just, it's, uh, I, I just, you know, the the, the line that... that, that there's this attempt early on to reinject the monsters with mystery because we've seen so much of them in the past two movies. Right. Um, we've we've and now we're going back to trying to trying to turn them into kind of movie monsters that are a little more obscure, and you know that that their danger and threat comes from the unknown about them. Yes, and the prequel is actually a really good framework in which to do that in because nobody to do that nobody knows sure. about anything. You know, there's no foreknowledge of them here, uh, and and they even cover at the end 
why their ancestors wouldn't know about it. Well, yeah, I mean that's a that is the problematic that's, scene in every prequel is is how do it's you... the only thing that kind of screams of that's a little weak. I get not you know uh, telling the world, yeah. but <laughs> you think it might be passed down to family members. It's very it's very contrived, um, and you know I think I think that is where the problem of a prequel. Uh, harms the movie. Sits. Right. However, I've seen this passed off. I've seen this technique passed off in movies that are movies and TV shows that are much better regarded than this, and no one seems to have a problem with it. So more power to mm-hmm. them. You know, yeah. they did this in Star Trek Discovery. Oh, okay. They're exactly the same scene <laughs> where everyone <laughs> agrees not to mention something. Because there's no way you wouldn't mention it in, like, Star Trek, the original series. And Star Trek Discovery is, like, five years before. Before that, right. So, it's exactly the same technique, and I think it's an accepted convention. I don't think it works, and I don't think it works in this movie. But, you know... Maybe that's it, though. Maybe it's just the accepted convention. Yeah. So that we can get on with our lives, and you know, it's it's important to keep everything you know in perspective. If they, if if prequel based media is still do, still pulling that kind of shit now, the fact that Tremors did it how long ago? What are we talking? This is two thousand. Oh, you mean the like, original? Yeah, no, this one, fifteen years ago. Yeah, this is two thousand four. So, so it's obviously that's, more than fifteen. That's not a big deal. It's like the discussion we had about Phantom Menace, you know, the digital effects in Tremors Aftershocks are bad. No better or worse than the Phantom Menace, which is supposed to be the best example of right. digital imagery at the time. So, um it's not in it's not so enough for it. me to dislike any aspect of this movie. No, yeah. So, all right. Well, let's get into you know, just just for a frame of reference for the audience, as we said, the name, the title of this movie is Tremors for the Legend Begins. So we are in the year 1889. Mm-hmm. We are not in perfection. Well, we are, but it is called rejection. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't I know also, who would name a town rejection, but they did. One of my one of my angry, worried notes was. Uh, sarcastically i assume we're gonna find out how it became perfection at some point right exactly me too but again i think the key to this movie is how low-key and underplayed everything in it is yeah so we know again we know that's gonna happen but it just sort of this movie takes its time this movie lets characters develop yeah this movie it does a lot right. It just sort, of, but it just sort of happens. Like I, I, I was sort of like awaiting this moment, and it's so understated when it does happen. I'm like, I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like I'm trying to think of these. These you're, you get like little surprises, and then you start getting marvels, and then you're so you get to a point where you're like. This movie's fucking great. I mean, can like, and I'm you know I I'm conscious of that. This is a, this is a video sequel, and we talked about how they're generally less well regarded as movies than yeah, theatrically released cinema. But I can't imagine a situation in you know J.J. Abrams' Star Wars or Star Trek 
where he would just like gently sort of let a piece of mythology like this just just drift into view and then drift out again. Right. I mean, yeah. for anyone who's seen The Rise of Skywalker, that is that is two hours of someone punching you in the face with mythology. <laughs> This is this is like save it, Tom. I know, save I know, it. I know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> here, it's just like it's just like yes, we all know these things are going to happen because it's a prequel, and we have to catch up with uh, like you know where Tremors is, where the first Tremors starts. Mm-hmm. But I don't think what we're, we're not expecting is for it to be dealt with so deftly every single time, right. and that goes for uh, like something. A point of comparison with the previous two films is how important romance is to these movies. And here we have a romance, but it, it it's it's a really subtle. It's so subtle and so subtle nuanced. and sweet and yeah and yeah. You know, looking back at other films we've done, maybe this is what I kind of wanted Back to the Future Part Three to be. Ha <laughs> ha how dare you disparage that love? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, at the beginning, I was like, I wonder if we should use the phrase going Western as a synonym for when sequels run out of ideas and you have to bring cowboys <laughs> in to help out. You literally have well, to bring cowboys Well, that's the thing in. is that's why I thought this movie would suck, yeah. which is strange because I really like Back to the Future 3. But all right, listen, we're going to take a break. <laughs> and when we come back, we're going to... We're going to dive deep into Tremors 4. Stay tuned, everybody. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we are back. Tom and I are here discussing the 2004 Tremors for The Legend Begins. So, all right. We were kind of talking about the basic setup for this plot. We were getting into the idea that we are in rejection. We are at the bottom dollar mine. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And there are some deaths. And... Uh, Hiram Gummer, who owns the mind, has to come and kind of find out what the deal is mm-hmm. in his attempts because he's on his last few dimes. Yeah. And he's got to get this mind restarted, but he can't do it, of course, until he gets rid of uh, all the graboids. Although they're not really, you know, there are graboids, but we also 
the mythology of the creatures themselves we discussed in the first few podcasts, this idea that they were ever evolving. Mm -hmm. And it was like they tried that here, but... I mean, it's still a, it's like, so basically it's like they, we have the dirt dragons, which are hatched out of the eggs yeah, and they're like the graboids in miniature form mm-hmm. before they start getting bigger, before they shed their shells and, and get big. Right. That's as good a right? description as you're going to get. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's, you know, they, they make a big deal of the eggs hatching. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just, it's. Again, the doing a prequel unburdens them from having to like create a new monster. Right. This is more like, you know, acceptably because they're doing a prequel, they can sort of go over old ground a little more, and and this is the kind of pre-stage graboid, um, I'm sure was a big factor. Uh, and also, well, you, and but, but, to, you, but you, I imagine it had to do with the budget too, because I just had this real sense of, hey, let's build small shit, because it'll cost less. Yeah, but also, you know, you get a chance to rename the monster. Yes, which is always right. a big deal for these movies. Always, yeah, always huge in this universe is naming the creatures. Uh, dirt, you know, they're, they're not dirt dragons, which is, um, well, I mean, I like it more than ass blasters, but. It, it feels yeah. it feels like an authentically in period name for uh, for the graboid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I you know I like everything about that. And one one of the things that kind of impresses me overall about this movie, it obviously it wants to be the can in being a prequel and then not being Burt Gummer in it. Um, they want this to be something of an outlier in the right. series. Um, but they still deliver on the Tremors formula. I mean, we're, yeah. we're still using in-period technology to defeat the Tremors. It just because, but because it's eighteen eighty nine, that's a telegraph and a steam engine, yeah. <laughs> and a punt gun. And a punt gun. And which, by the way, one of my notes is apparently that's a real thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I I kind of. I know a little about this period in history, and I was continually impressed about how much history they get right. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, you know, there's the, the jokes that only work if you know your history, like the one about Doc Holliday. Right. Um, and again, it's sort of like ab- above and uh, above and beyond, really. Uh, and there's the one about the Alamo. Uh, the, the joking about the Alamo, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, I think this is this is kind of remarkable. I also really enjoyed. I mean, this is you know, it's 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 it, often when when people make westerns nowadays, it's difficult to justify why you'd be doing a western. You know, what what what's a modern day audience going to get out of this? And they do not uh-huh. have this problem, I don't think, at all. It's continually justified that, that why we're going into the past. But also, like, you know, they're able to do modern-day movie versions of things in a Western, like the countryfied Eye of the Tiger montage sequence. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and that's the perfect 
collision of, you know, this kind of contemporary action movie and um and an old fashioned western. And I don't it just which whichever way you kinda come at this movie, it holds together. Uh, as it- well, and that's the thing. Like, I was so prepared to try to poke as many holes as I possibly could yeah, in this too. movie uh, when I knew that it was, you know, coming in, understanding it was a prequel and a Western. I was like ready to tear this movie to ribbons. Absolutely. For the piece of shit I assumed it was. <laughs> and I kept going, huh? Oh, I like that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, it's... and all of a sudden, at a certain point, maybe especially once Billy Drago shows up, I'm like, this movie's fucking great. <laughs> I mean, that for for a video sequel, that's like having Brad Pitt in your movie, right? <laughs> you know, fr- he is fresh the Brad off Pitt the... of direct to video. Um, yeah, and again, I think when 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 he turns up, it really enhances the credibility of this movie as a western. It just kind of clicks into place, like. Like, you know, I'm now watching this as a Western and it works as that. Like, that's right. the point in the movie where I sort of... Well, and that's the other thing. So I was speaking earlier to what we respond to in movies. And there, there's stuff at the beginning of this movie where I, I had conscious thoughts of, oh, maybe that was the first day of filming. Because hmm. I wasn't seeing... I was seeing acting that felt a little stilted and not, you know, I just, from secondary characters mostly. Yeah. You know, the the, the band of goofs that go up to the mine with them. Mm-hmm. You're probably not seeing a lot of those actors still working, I imagine, but, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, I mean, I think there are... I think there are definitely. It's always a difficult game with with a, a, a like a progressive western. You you wanna you want the ethnic characters to to be real, but you also you're also dealing with a formula and genre where they're where they're treated stereotypically. And we get right. flavors of both. You know, the, the, there's cartoonish Mexicans, which is a you know like a you know a, a, a staple of the western. Um, sure, you've got you know the the but for the most part, you know, I think when Latino- well, one of my notes too, though, was I said, you know, the Chinese family. I think we talked about this maybe separately at some point. I said, you know, this Chinese family they speak better English than I do. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> or uh, you know, there's there's just one or two missteps here and there. And I think you know the line I make big firecracker. I show you how. Uh, yeah, should have right. been cut from the movie. <laughs> but again, it's like just tiny little missteps in either direction. But the overall feeling of it is this is a movie that's pro-immigrant, pro, yes, pro, pro melting plot America, melting pot, um, and not just that, but you know, the arc of Hiram Gummer. Like, yeah, he's he's kind, you know, he is officious. He's a rich. You know, he's pompous. He's a bit of an asshole. But you see something within him even at the beginning. I also love, by the way, that he, you know, his stagecoach comes. They take off his luggage. They are like, he didn't get off. And the coach goes away. And you just have that silhouette Uh of Michael Gross standing. You know, I mean, he really looks like the son of man painting. You think he's going to turn around and have an apple in front of his fucking face. Yeah. 
but uh, you can see goodness within that character, even within his buffoonery and his assholery. Yeah. And which is the Bert, which is the Bert Gummer magic. It's, right. it's just yeah, a different exactly. it's just a different iteration of that character magic, which is why and this there, works. But, but yeah, and the thing that I, I I I started marveling at was you have a, a Mexican or Mexican American character, you have Chinese Chinese characters, you have Native American. a Native American, mm-hmm. a white woman and a white man. And they don't have issues with each other. No. That are based on race or gender or class. And I find I found that really refreshing and it kind of warmed my heart. Maybe that's because of where we are in America right now, but it, it's it certainly is. I loved seeing that. And it, you know, it's 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 pie-eyed, but what what makes it kind of less utopian and actually more of a political statement is that you know a rejection is right. is a model of America, and you know there's all these possibilities for a, for a, a a kind of democratic coalition of different ethnicities to work, uh, different classes, you know, demographic groups. But the big problem that's getting in the way is economy, is right. economic disparity, which they address through um, Hiram's relationship to the the young boy in the Chinese family. Um, mm-hmm. Again and again, they refer to this, uh, you know, this this li- these life lessons that he's trying to teach him about basically, you know, taking the other guy for all he's worth. Right. So the the fact that but he's the one that learns a lesson in the end. Yeah. You know? But the, but the, uh, what that's I think that's what's great about this. You know, it's not, and you know, the, with the Native American character, he, he's constantly. Basically, he has to go and see this cigar store Indian every day. Mm-hmm. And it wears him down to the point where he has no self-worth. I mean, I'm not... I'd, you know, I, I, I'd have to do a survey, but I don't think that there are that many movies at this time that are asking those questions and having those kinds of representations in the normal scheme of things. And when they do, you know, like an... Right, like yeah. a, like an I mean, it's a, it's a bit anachronistic, but an unforgiven... Or you know, a uh, uh, open range or something. Everyone's lauding them to pieces and just going, "Oh my God, it's so sure. good! It's a western, but it's liberal and it's progressive." But this is doing it all under the radar. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Because it's just good character writing. That's the other thing. Yeah. So I'm, I, I, I'm, imp- I I'm so impressed. I was really impressed with the with the writing. That's what I love most about this movie. It's it's really nicely done, you know, and this the, this whole kind of stripping away of Hiram Gummer, and again, you know, the, the movie does this in really subtle, really actually really subtle suggestions that he doesn't have as much money as he's claiming he has. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually done in quite a nuanced way. But very early on, he talks about having an aperitif after dinner, and at that point, I'm like, this guy isn't as cultured as he says he is. <laughs> <laughs> and they leave they leave these little you know these little uh trail these breadcrumb trails for yeah. you to go okay this guy is is he's not quite a con man but he's definitely trying but he's to convince, a little full of shit <laughs> yeah he's 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 full of shit for sure about his wealth and means um 
and I just I just love that because that that's that's more interesting, uh, and you have an actor like Michael Gross who can play all sides of that. Uh, yeah, he's that fantastic, and like you said before, when Billy Drago shows up, I mean he is he is reveling in this role. <laughs> like he he's just he's loving every bit of it. I came up with a a band name based on one thing he does in this movie called the Black Hand Salami Shooters. <laughs> and, you know, again, you know you, you're taking a scene that is in virtually every Western, you know, where, with this kind of yeah, like right. this William Tell apple on the head moment with a with a, uh, a gun, but you're replacing it with salami and you have this substitution that turns it into something unique and original and kind of weird and wonderful. And fun, yeah, yeah, exactly. And they do that. They do that throughout this movie. I think. Uh, I think it's it's remarkable. And you know that relationship of, and again, it's like you use Black Hand Kelly or Billy Drago wearing a cowboy outfit, which is what we're talking about here. Um, yeah, for those that don't know, the the citizens of Rejection decide that what they need is a real gunslinger, so they send out. Not really an SOS, but a message uh, via the cable, and and uh, of course, on a dark stormy night, who shows up? Billy Drago. Yeah, I, I as think Black Hand Kelly. In the same in the same <laughs> way that the the podcast Star Wars Minute refers to um, Space Jimmy Smiths instead of the actual name of the character, which I could I can't even recall. <laughs> We're talking about no. Western Billy Drago here. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not untouchables, Billy Drago. <laughs> not untouchables, Billy Drago. Just um, well, you know, he he he's kind of becomes a sort of me- a mentor figure. He's part of the of Hiram's transformation into a gunslinger, which will then lead to his yes. transformation into you know the the uh, the gun toting nut that we see in in the late you know or that his descendants will become so again that's Correct. you know that's using using the conventions of the genre this kind of trope the man who shot Liberty Valance John Wayne teaching James Stewart how to shoot using right. it towards this de- you know this kind of developmental stage in the ancestry of Burt Gummer um, so every basically I mean. What I feel about this movie is everything is going in the right direction. Everything that they put in the movie helps. Yeah, nothing, that's what it is. You're right. Nothing detracts yeah. from it except, you know, I my theory about prequels is that we get we're getting less and less of them, at least in movies, because reboots are just are just have fewer story problems. Right. And this this is a good case study of that. None of it, because it's so, so, because the quality is so good, it doesn't really bother me. But when you see certain scenes, you think, oh my God, this is, you know, the prequel framework is is clunky as shit. Fraught with peril. It really Fraught is. Fraught with peril. And, yeah. and so I'm not surprised that, that Reboot kind of took that mantle because you get everything you want in a sequel, but so, well... I mean, you get other problems, but far fewer. Mm-hmm. But the, that's why this movie is so good: is that you, you, even though you're aware that it, it's the peril, you know, the perils of prequels are at play. Um, 
none of it detracts from your enjoyment or even just, you know, not just enjoyment. It's not just about it being entertaining. It's like, this is good. Yeah. This is good exactly. stuff. And, and you know, I you've, you've alluded to the kind of... I mean, the SOS attack. I mean, I... In the, in the cabin? Yeah, it's wonderful. Another shot I absolutely adore in this movie is when the we get a kind of split overground underground shot of a graboid chasing a wagon. Yes. Uh, and he yeah. appears briefly. It's almost like it's like the you know under the bridge. It's like the you know the most perfect moment in a cartoon. You know like a Bugs Bunny or a Wile E Coyote, <laughs> yeah. but in but in live action brought to life. Oh, and it's it's great. you know it, it's to me that's as soon as I think of Tremors as a series I mean, admittedly, I haven't seen the original in quite a while. Um, that's one of the it most. It did become a series too, though. Yeah. Um, this is that's one of the most iconic shots in the whole pantheon. For me. You think so? Yeah. The 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 graboid, uh, it it peers briefly under a bridge while it's chasing a wagon. Yeah. And for a second, right. you see the wagon and the graboid going. Well, it's also one of the few animated shots, though. Yeah, I mean, 2004, they should be getting a little better, but, and I think probably having digital in such a limited capacity, and, you know... uh, Well, that's what I liked about this movie, is I love that shot under the bridge. Yeah. It's pretty delightful, but I, like you, I just, I love all the puppetry stuff. Oh, completely, and just, you know, this idea of of moving them underground, uh, and have, you know, that... It works. It works economically because sometimes you can just have floorboards coming up, and you have the same right. effect. You don't actually need to show them if they're always underground and coming at you. Well, yeah, you have the the jaws sense. Yeah, you can sort of do it that way. But for the suspense of the movie, it it it, uh, it increases that. And you know, they go. They also they go to town on the body horror in this one. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of decapitations in this movie. Compared yeah. to the other movies, and I, I mean, yeah. I like that a lot. I don't. It's like first shot. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why suddenly this movie has a fetish about decapitations, compared to the other movies. But I'm not complaining. Not to mention Billy Drago just being swallowed whole. Love that scene. Yeah. All right, let's take another break, and when we come back, we will finish up this delightful fucking movie. I love Tremors Four. All right, everyone, we'll be right back. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company... So will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. 
bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we're back. Tom and I are here discussing a movie that I think certainly pleases our spirit beasts. <laughs> Tremors 4, The Legend Begins. Yeah. The 2004 S.S. Wilson movie. What, um... I th- I, so, I mean, essentially, not that we've been kind of going plot by point by plot point, but... If we're talking about the end of the movie, this final stand, mm-hmm. I think it's pure magic. Yeah. I love everything about it. Yeah, I like, um, I was particularly impressed by the the way they were able to use the kind of beats of a Western, mm-hmm. like the, the kind of um, spaghetti Western showdown. Yeah, right. But use that as a fake out to tremors like action chicanery mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's i mean i don't know if it's just i mean certainly that generation of filmmakers they grew up with westerns the conventions would be second nature to them so maybe they definitely feel that kind of mindset but I'm just so impressed with that interplay of here's the formula of the of a Tremor sequel. Here's the Western. Let's put and one we'll on top them. of the other. Yeah. And they never and it never feels like anything is bursting at the seams at any point. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're sim- simpatico. Well, and speaking to what we spoke to earlier, it seemed clear that they might not have had as much money, but they use everything to yeah. their advantage. I love the saw killing, <laughs> oh, which wow, is essentially yeah. is like a Jaws 2 yes. murder of a graboid, putting the saw in the ground and then banging it like a drum. Ugh, yeah. Until the graboid just splits itself in half. Do you see the orange goop kind of come up through the sand? It's fucking great. Here's a potential fly in the ointment. Uh-oh. Where do you stand on slow motion? Because there's a lot of it in this movie. That's true. I All don't right. know your feelings about slow motion. Here's where I officially stand on slow motion. Everybody set the recorder. If you use it, it had better work. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it. Um, I've, I don't know. I mean... I may be because I think there's I might, all kinds of ways. Think, you know, I think you I have might be a slow motion racist. Oh well, that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> no, let let me qualify that. Not not a racist who moves slowly. I I think I'm someone who sort of sees slow motion, and I just think you know all the only good slow motion is not slow motion. Like I I. 
I think I think you're I'm, prejudiced against it. I think I'm prejudiced. I think I'm generally prejudiced against it. And you know, maybe I was looking for things to kind of quant- qualify my love of this movie. But I did sort of say that that maybe slowing down the film is not one of this movie's best moves. But then again, that is a Western convention. Yeah. You know, Sergio Leone uses it. Sure, sure, sure. Um, very common uh, to kind of slow down, slow down the action movies. Use it. Oh yeah, but you know, it's like speaking to when it works, it works. Not a sequel, but there's a moment in Point Break in that last bank robbery scene where the slow motion kicks up. Yeah. But to me, the only thing it reveals is in the moment you know you're gonna think Patrick Swayze is the best actor on the fucking planet because (laughs) he sees that a cop has got a gun you see his realization wash over his face that he is gonna have to kill that man if he wants to live yeah and Mm -hmm. points I mean it's amazing it's fucking amazing so when it's good it's really good but you have all different kinds of slow motion. You have the hero walk. You have the hero walk with something blowing up behind them. Another way of looking at it is is maybe if you do it more than once a movie, you've got to have a very good reason. Reason for, that. for it. Yeah, that's fair. And I don't think this movie should have as much slow motion in it. But again, I, 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 would, can't, I, would I tend can't to lean for towards, that either. I would tend to agree with you on that. But at the same time... It was not consciously in my thoughts that I wrote it down as a note. Okay. So, must not have bothered me too much. Got it. Um, now, this movie ends on a freeze frame. <laughs> yes. Again, quite a Western thing, Butch and Sundance. Sure. I think that's playing in here a little bit. Um, now this is this is the most demented shot in any Tremors sequel. <laughs> yes, yeah. Look, do you want to describe it to people? All right. You, first, let you, me just you say... watched you watched it again last night, so you probably have a more vivid sense of you know the madness of this shot than I do. Well, and let me just say first of all, don't get me wrong, I was fully on board Tremors 4 long before this scene takes place. Yeah. But when this happened and that freeze frame came up, I mean, I think I fell off the couch laughing. I was so delighted. It's like... I I fucking loved it. It's it's but, as if... It's like the, the ending, if you can imagine... I'm going to try and describe it tonally before before Mike Well, hang on. Like, let's let's okay. also put into perspective the character of Hiram Gummer. Mm-hmm. When you first meet him, he goes into the hotel, and somebody mentions something about weapons, mm-hmm. and his one of his not his first lines, but his line at that moment is, "I don't own a firearm." Yeah. And that's and, your that's your dramatic irony moment of right, and and then you, you have this moment will. where all the other characters are telling him it's the wild wild west. Even the kid pulls out his slingshot, like, "What's the matter with you?" Just, Later just, in the movie, 
with Black Hand Kelly, Billy Drago. He he tells him to grab a gun, something you're comfortable with, and they are shooting off these cannons, you know, rifles, six shooters, and then you hear this really dainty pop, and he uh, he and uh, what's the character's name? Uh, Juan Padilla mm-hmm. look over at him like, what the fuck? And he goes, what you said, pick something I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And Black Hand Kelly goes, you're right, I did say that. So putting it in the background that this character is is a far cry from the Burt Gummer we know from the rest of the series. He missed with a cannon. Yeah, right, right. He That's missed one line. shot with the punt gun that uh, drew, yeah, draw, drew the derision from other characters saying, you missed with a cannon. <laughs> so he is not efficient and in this scene, it starts with him practicing with a pistol, shooting at bottles. Mm-hmm. The child is hitting with bottles. His, what we'll say is clearly going to be his new lady lover. Yeah. She is uh, firing just perfectly fine into the bottles, and he keeps missing, mm-hmm. and she delivers him a present. Yeah. A machine gun. Yeah. And he... He... Go, I don't know how to describe it. He goes ape shit on this machine gun. <laughs> well, what I love the most too is he doesn't really go ape shit until he starts hitting things that yeah. he was aiming for. You know, he right. actually starts hitting bottles. It's easier for him to hit what he's trying to hit, and the victory of that is what makes him go ah. <laughs> yeah. And he's going nuts as he's cranking, you know, the bullets through the chamber. It's just delightful. And his love interest looks uh, appropriately worried, <laughs> right. which is another nice touch. And what what I like about what what I like about this is it it, it obviously. I mean, they go far in this movie because she's like a, a, you know, a sandy or you know a strawberry blonde. Yeah. And of course, Burt Gummer is married to Reba McIntyre. Yeah. So, so they're even trying to draw that comparison, you know. Certainly. Of of the kind of woman that the Gummers are attracted to. <laughs> yeah, and you know the the it's it's obviously you know it's it's origin story you know it's origin story forward, but you know this movie's been all been about. It's been a great opportunity to sort of re to put Burt Gummer's politics in a more negative light by recasting him as a different character. Mm-hmm. So you're able you're able to put out a political critique of Burt Gummer without just spending the movie dumping on Burt Gummer. Right. And there's... I, I, mean, I mean, you know, it's like... All the tensions we've been talking about with Burt Gummer are in this one shot. Shot, right. You know, it's this. It's like we get this vicarious well, this thrill is... of seeing yeah. a movie through through his crazy eyes, but at the same time, everyone, everyone in the audience and everyone on screen also needs to be worried about how sinister this guy is, <laughs> and that's all there, down deep. <laughs> and and the movie doesn't pull. You know, the, that's what's great. The movie doesn't kind of pull away from that. Um, that idea that 
uh, we've talked about before. You know, Burt Gummer is definitely the guy you want to watch carrying a Tremors movie. He's the last person you would want to interact with in real life. Right. And this is, you know, this this is this kind of like... You wouldn't want to put, put Burt Gummer into Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> no, Michael, <laughs> I would. <laughs> With that machine gun aimed at Rosie O'Donnell. Um... <laughs> And I just that you know, it's this is just like a cathartic moment in the franchise of, you know, we're at this precipice where I don't think at this point we foresee any more Tremors sequels. Well, that and that's the other thing is that, and this is, we're, we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but I think that's why I responded so positively to Bloodlines too, was because to me... They made this movie thinking, this is it. Well, where else can you go? When you've gone to the past, that's Right, it. exactly. You're done. You've gone to the past. They literally they don't make another movie for a decade. Right. So, so it fe- feels like this was intended to be the end. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of, it's bringing it full circle enough that you could end it here if you want to. But yes. I don't know. I think probably just just the performance of Michael Gross in that scene. You know, if you were a producer, you would look at it and think, "We, you know, Burt Gummer's still got room to to grow." Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this and is I- one of the things I love about the series is that. Essentially, in almost every movie, there's somewhere for the character to go. Definitely. And I I, I really respect that about the series. I, I love that about this series. And, you know, not to, I, I, I doubt anyone is thinking in these terms, but certainly when, when we're watching these movies, we're thinking in these terms. The, the Burt Gummer of Bloodlines comes preloaded with Hiram. And that mm-hmm. totally changes things for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they do other they do other backstory things in Bloodlines, which are really interesting. Uh, yeah. Less successfully than this movie, but but interesting. Uh, at we'll least get my there. opinion. But um, <laughs> but I just think it's uh, it. It 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 does that thing that prequels very rarely do. They offer a new perspective on old material, right? Uh, and nowhere is that clear. You know that the Burt Gummer's ancestry genuinely does explain a lot about his the tensions within his character, whether it's in the know, future, right? Socially, emotionally, politically, whatever. Like it's all bound up in there, and you can't see him pre legend begins. You know what it is afterwards. You know but what it is. I don't think any, you know I, those. I, yeah, you know those. Those. You know when you were a kid and you saw the evolution pictures and you saw like kind of man ape <laughs> and walking along until they become human. I thought when you, you were talking about movie? the movie Evolution, and I was like, don't tell me they did more than one of that movie. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> 
We're safe, Tom. We're safe. I'm sure SS but, Wilson. But my is point was was like you can imagine it. So what you have is you have Hiram Gummer mm-hmm. being one of those pictures on that timeline, yeah. and Bert Gummer, say from Bloodlines. But you can imagine sort of the evolution in between them. Definitely. Definitely. Between the two movies, almost based solely on how good an actor he is. But also think about. Also think about the alternative way they could have done this prequel. Basically, Burt Gummer is... Uh, Hiram Gummer would be Black Hand Kelly. Yeah, right. You could do, I mean, that would be the more obvious route to go. Sure. That he was a gunslinger in the Old West. I mean, again, it's like... We're back to the future three. I mean, obviously, it's a running gag that everyone's ancestor or descendant is exactly the same as they are. Yeah, right. And you can't get out of this history, you know, like history, you can't you can't dodge genetics. But this movie is actually doing something more interesting than that and sort of saying that yes, all of this adds up to Burt Gummer, but Burt Gummer wasn't But it's Hiram Gummer's life experience that leads to it. Right. But it's yeah, it's it, <laughs> but it's uh but he's a but in order to get there he has to be an entirely different character. Just happens to be a character that Michael Gross can play remarkably well and effortlessly. <laughs> yeah, completely. Well, all right. There you have it, I think. Yeah, no, I, I got nothing nothing else to say. I don't uh, really have any other notes other than I loved the pink lining of Blackhand Kelly's black overcoat. And, uh, you know, just in, in ending this, I... I I will go make a piece of uh, molasses gingerbread cake. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's it's wonderful. I mean, I, I, my, the final note I want to end on is that is is about outliers in a sequel franchise. Yeah. There's a kind of idea that they're necessarily a bad thing. And I don't think that's true. I think you can score with a movie that is unlike all the other sequels in your series. Of course. If you do it right. Well, I don't, I mean, you... I don't know. I mean, if you, I don't want to, I want to drag everything back to the Bond movies, but I'm going to. But of course you do and you will. <laughs> but, you know, the things that say people say about Honor Majesty's Secret Service and License to Kill, you know, there's this sort of assumption that, you know, it's not giving us what we want from a Bond film, therefore it is wrong. Um, but if you actually watch these movies, it's like, you're getting everything you want from a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Really, really are. You just have to, you you know, you just have to unfocus your eyes. <laughs> Sometimes right. literally. And I feel like this is this this is the same thing where it's like, this is the, this is the Tremors movie that doesn't have Burt Gummer in it. You know, you can look, you can watch it with that perspective, and you might be, you you may be disappointed. But if you watch it, you know, you you watch it, thinking this is going to deliver on everything you want from a Tremors movie, but you're going to get an interesting, absolutely movie on top of that. Yeah, we are of like minds. Tremors for the legend begins, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't seen it, go fucking watch it. Yeah. Then contact us. 
Find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram or Twitter, and let us know what you think of Tremors 4 The Legend Begins. Does it go to the top or the bottom of your list? It should be the top or near the top. <laughs> I like how you you kept that open and then you basically implied that anyone who didn't have this at the top of the list is They're wrong. Is a moron. <laughs> I'm a dick. <laughs> that says it all about this podcast, I think. Dick is my default position. <laughs> Freedom of speech. But that's also the free freedom of speech is the freedom to be a moron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and don't Make we know that living known. in today's America? Make your point known. <laughs> no, you might be reprimanded. <laughs> Likewise, you can send us an email to everything sequel at gmail.com. Please rate and review us. It really does help. We're trying to fix the algorithms. We're on you we're on YouTube as well. Yes. yes. We're on YouTube. We are on Come YouTube, officially. Watch us on YouTube. Leave a comment. Subscribe. Sort of. Watch us, sort of. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a fed, a, um, uh, a big dose of visual content to go with the audio content on YouTube. There you go. All right. For Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz from the How Dare You Awards. We'll see you next time for Tremors Bloodlines. Tremors 5. Bloodlines. (laughs) (laughs) Say bye, Tom. (laughs) I'm nothing if not prepared. The legend legend continues. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see you next time.